Welcome again to another chapter and podcast of Cosmic Careers with your host, Veronica Chiara Valley, and myself, Alistair Brown. Welcome. Today, special thanks goes out to the co-author of this book, Marianne Carench, for she did the research and writing of this chapter, and her efforts are very much needed in this book. Today, we will cover companies in space private companies being startups, but they are just as important as the big companies, as we shall see. We can see that more and more companies are moving into space and more research and development is now required for their own individual projects or for the government, be it remote sensing on Earth, detecting weather patterns, or searching for minerals on other extraterrestrial bodies and everything in between, like ice on the moon. Note that these companies, even large companies, cannot afford to self-fund the R&D required for new technologies for themselves or those sought by the government. Contracting agencies, whether they be public or private, would pay the expenses and the fee so that the company or the government would get the technology they need. This would be a future role for NASA, incidentally. They do and should continue to develop the technologies needed for future space exploration. They should, in turn, turn them over to private companies and then proceed to the next project, whatever that might be. Would NASA develop the technologies for everyone or for just private individuals or companies that would pay for the R&D for their own use? and nobody else's, who would own the patent? Good question. My answer, probably NASA, or it could be in the public domain. I'm a little leery about NASA developing new technologies for some companies and not for others. Unless other companies, like the companies that requested the technologies, could pay NASA a fee for use of this technology. Small companies, even startups, can also make revolutionary technological advances, both with and without technological help. Yes, and that is what today's podcast is about. We will now focus on small space companies that have come up with creative and original technological solutions to many of our problems dealing with the space environment. These companies have serviced both NASA and the private industry, as we shall see. Of course, these small companies will need a source of funding. Perhaps you can tell us what those sources will be. There are probably many sources, but I can focus on five. First, it's the customer. Suppose they need a piece of technology for a probe they cannot find anywhere, so they consult you, meaning a space company, to specify what they need and how it would fit to the rest of the probe, the weight, and that does matter, its function, and how it would function with the rest of the probe. Now, most of this can come from off-shelf technology, meaning it already exists. You just have to get it all, put together the pieces in some way that would fit the probe to the customer's specifications. However, there might be a function required that hasn't yet been invented, and that's where the original thinking comes in. This technology can be developed, but it may take time and a lot of geniuses to come up with the requested technology. Somehow, they always do. 
well, most of the time anyway. The second is the government, mostly NASA, where the government requests a piece of advanced technology. It comes in many forms. I'll mention two here. SBIR, which is Small Business Innovative Research, and whatever is requested from the government must meet government demands for that requested technology. The third is government public-private partnership, and this is Small Business Technology Transfer, or SBTT, expands the public-private sector for joint venture opportunities for small businesses and nonprofit research institutions. The business must collaborate with the research institution. This benefits both the government and the industry as both will get the technology and commercialize it. The fourth, which fits with the second, is government request for proposals applying to private firms of any size. The government requests a new technology, such as a new lunar module, and that has already been done, and the private firms compete for the project, with one or more firms being awarded the final project. In the case of the lunar module and advanced spaceships, two or three firms have gotten the contracts. The fifth is collegial, or university support, simply meaning support from colleges and universities for a contract. This especially applies to the field of medicine. Don't forget the banks. Them too. So the government or private industries request certain devices that they need, and small businesses can provide them, even invent them. It could be a small piece of space technology, a small instrument needed on a space probe, being of a certain size and function to fit in with the rest of the probe and operate efficiently. After inventing the needed technology, you're going to need business professionals to sell the product to other companies. The product will be in low demand because of the cosmos itself, and a profit still needs to be made. If it is to support the company and pay the salaries of the employees, that is a major consideration. So they have to sell to different companies, even countries. You also have to consider the questions to any space company you want to sell your invention to. What are the needs of the company? Does your product provide these needs? How can it benefit the company? Can it solve their problems in getting their probes to function correctly? Are there competitors out there that can provide a similar, better product for them? Is it the latest state of the art? Is it faster, better, cheaper, light enough so that it won't add too much weight? Can it make the probes last longer than originally planned? Many interplanetary probes have lasted many times longer than expected, years instead of months. You have it, Veronica. We need professional salespeople to really sell the product. Fast talkers, too, but honest fast talkers. Can you give us examples of successful small startups? I can give you three. Starsys Research was founded by George Tibbetts, who originally worked in a water heater engineering company in 1988. Now, being a space advocate, but working in water heater technology, Mr. Tibbetts came up with the idea of using paraffin thermal actuators. That is, 
releasing mechanisms on satellites such as solar panels when a certain temperature is reached rather than using explosive bolts. All this started with candle wax and $7.20 worth of plumbing parts you can get from a hardware store. Starsis had little or no funding except from family or friends, about $10,000, but NASA, combined with Jet Propulsion Laboratories, known as JPL, in Pasadena, California, did provide technical assistance to help Starsis make the invention space-worthy. It worked, and the invention started to be in demand. Multiple contracts did result, and by 1989, the company became self-sufficient. Starsys also began to diversify to spacecraft mechanisms, thereby creating even more demand by other space companies and more employees were hired. In 1999, Starsys acquired a space motor technology company, driving growth up to 40%, and by 2005, the company had grown to 150 employees, and sales and growth increased up to $18 million. Now, mind you, this did take 20 years and a few setbacks. SpaceDev did acquire Starsys in 2006, and by 2008, Starsys was a stable $28 million division, providing deployable structures, mechanisms, and actuators. A few of these devices made it to a spacecraft heading to Mars, the Spirit Rover Project. As it landed and at 9.28 p.m. on January 3, 2004, all the employees from Starsys were there at JPL and there was intense waiting, then celebration when Spirit landed. You never know where your inventions can lead to. Starsys led to Mars. Give us another example. The government needed a solid state recorder, the first of its kind to replace tape storage. This is where a new company founded by Colonel Ray Anderson retired from the US Air Force as an engineer with his own son, Scott, and later his other sons, Eric and Kurt. They were funded by both industry, Rockwell International, and the government, and SEEKER, S-E-A-K-R, all capitals, was formed. Their first try, they made the mistake of using bubble memory, small letters and not a company, but a process. It was a heavy device and very expensive. This ruined them, and for two years, Seeker had no more contracts, but the Andersons did not give up. They got their cash from other jobs they did, kept up their research, and came out with DRAM, the dynamic random access memory, by a, a big improvement over bubble memory. This led to a contract for Clementine, a lunar probe to detect water on the moon, which then led to other projects. The phrase, faster, better, cheaper, was conned, not by them, but it applied to other companies that soon came to Seeker. As a last example, Brian Sanders is the co-founder of Orbital Microsystems, known as OMS, whose purpose is to provide access to real-time, actionable data about weather conditions to customers that need this data. 
Much of this data is useful in the fields of agriculture, aviation, disaster response, finance, energy, insurance, and maritime. Now, what makes this technology special are cube satellites, ranging from the size of 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters to the size of a shoebox. These are very small satellites that can function as well as previously larger satellites, such as Landsats. Now, to sum it all up, new space companies privately owned are meeting market demand in ways that the government never could. They can bypass bureaucracy, greatly lowering costs, and can service more people of more professions at a faster and cheaper rate. For example, analyzing the weather, telling farmers when is the best time to plant their crops. One little known fact is that governments do not exist to meet the demands of companies. They never have and never will. The other fact is that governments never try to lower the cost of a product or a service. It's not their job, and it never has been. This is why private companies are coming in to provide services that would be cheaper and of higher quality than our own government, the U.S., or any other ever could. It is time for our government and NASA to get out of the space business altogether. NASA dominated this business, especially the rocket launching business, but private industry came in and showed that they can do it in a better way. Now, NASA and the government are still needed. Here is what they should do. Do research and development on new technologies that private industry cannot afford to do alone. This includes both long-term and non-profit research. Explore the unknown depths of space, including the first manned Mars landing before the rest of humanity steps in. And third, help build the infrastructure that will be needed for the cis-lunar space industries. This will be discussed in a future podcast. Well, Alastair, we've discussed the realities of space business, and we both know it will be more complex than that. But I think we have the logistics. We have both the opportunities and anyone willing to take the risk and spend money will prosper. These are the opportunities of space. They are there for the taking. And your next podcast? We will focus on the government in space. Although private industry is moving in, governments will still have a major role to play in space. So you don't want to miss this one. Thank you, Alistair. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you, Veronica. And thank you, Marianne Carinch, for writing this chapter. And last but not least, thank you, the audience, for listening. And tune in again next week. And don't forget to buy Cosmic Careers, the book. You can order it on the net. Bye. Bye.